about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. According to a poll, two of college football's most controversial mascots are playing off against each other this week. It's the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the Seminoles of Florida State. Dear listeners, welcome to Florida State Week. We've got Jason on the show again. You may recall him from last season at CFB Numbers on Twitter. But before we get to him, I'm going to pass it over to Steve, who's got some big news for you. Boys. Cue the reggaeton horns because we got a sponsor. (laughs) Okay. Um, All right. So the most recent U.S. Bureau of Labor jobs report has stated that there were 10.1 million jobs available in the United States and compared to 9.8 million unemployed Americans. That's a surplus. That means we currently have more jobs available than we do people. And what does that mean for you, the listener? That means it is time to step your game up and find a job that is going to work for you. Introducing Dwindle, reggaeton horns again, Uh, Dwindle is the first job board aimed at helping to solve the student loan debt crisis. Uh, Job seekers can sign up for free and get a free resume critique and then start applying for jobs that that provide student loan repayment benefits. If you don't have any student loans, but you're still looking for an affordable education, perfectly fine. Dwindle's going to hook you up because they also help connect you with jobs that help, that provide tuition assistance and tuition reimbursement. Comes in clutch. My soon-to-be wife is in graduate school. She has some sort of hookup like that. And honestly, if she had Dwindle, might have had a better deal. <clears throat> so check them out at dwindlestudentdebt.com. That's dwindle, D-W-I-N-D-L-E, studentdebt.com. Let them know that the Four Horsemen sent you. Thank you so much to Dwindle for being our uh, sponsor for this 2021 Notre Dame Fighting Irish season. Dwindlestudentdebt.com. And also, guys, uh, you know, we we've been putting in a ton of time and effort providing you with uh, the best possible content on Twitter. We're growing Instagram. We have a lot more to come your way. Uh, We're actively trying to grow our sphere of influence. and, And that requires a ton of extra time and effort outside of our normal nine to fives. So, you know, if you support the work, if you want to help us grow, you can be a contributor by visiting Anchor dot fm slash four dash horseman dash pod slash support uh there you can make monthly contributions of 99 cents uh four dollars 99 cents or even nine dollars 99 cents so basically a buck five bucks or ten bucks monthly uh you can find that link because it's a little complicated to spell out you can actually find that link in our pinned tweet on our twitter so if you guys are looking to help us help you help us 
help you, then uh, then you you know you can visit our the link right in our Twitter, and that's going to help you become a monthly supporter. Thank you for all your support, and go Irish. Thanks, Steve. We promised big things this season, so we're stepping it up. Week one, big time guest, a Seminoles fan. On top of that, I'm Dylan, joined by Steve and P Wagon as always, and. Ladies and gentlemen, the floor for Jason. Thanks for having me, guys. And um, I know you said that uh, FSU was on the list of most defensive mascots. And I did just want to say that anything that FSU does, whether it's the war chant that you might hear or the mascot or anything related to that, is actually approved by the Seminole tribe. So we do have that in our back pocket. That, that's really great to learn, and, and I think most Notre Dame fans may not have been aware of that. So that that's a big thing. I think hopefully on this podcast, the goal is to get Notre Dame fans familiar with Florida State and what they bring this year, but also some of the, you know, the nuances of the program, some of the tradition there too. Of course, uh, legendary coach there uh, just passed away, um, and we spoke about that in our last episode. I think what a great coach uh, Bowden was. So... Um, you know, I'm going to start, uh, Steve. We gave 12 and 0 predictions last week in our season preview. Has anything changed for you as you approach this football game? Not in the slightest, uh, and, and that's not a slight at Florida State. I just think um, it's inarguable that Notre Dame is a top five program in the nation. Uh, we will be competing for a playoff. There's obviously nothing guaranteed in this life. Um, and you can't go 12 and 0 without starting one and 0. So that's, that's the premise where I'm coming from. Uh, P wagon. Let's hear your thoughts, sir. It's 14 and 0 or bust. <laughs> that's, that pra- that's that hard pragmatism. P wagon is known for uh, <laughs> when you think about it. And I wasn't on last week, but I'm here now. There's a few fellows out there. Uh, I don't like them. They're saying under eight and a half. Eight and a half. That means they win eight. Which That's means they lose four. And I'm not going to call out which platform they're on. Uh, they're based out of Kentucky. I'll let you all figure that out. Eight and a half. If you don't have this team going 12-0 and 0 in the regular season... And at worst, 12-0. and 0. Yeah. <laughs> It's 12-0 and 0 or bust, and we're winning a title this year. The end. Well, Jackson let's bring... Cone is a savior of Sable. Let's bring Jason into that debate. Um, obviously, on the show before, I think you mentioned that, uh, you know, you have some Notre Dame family, so you've always been a little uh, soft for the Irish. What is, what is your perception of this Notre Dame team uh, and, and some of that over-under eight-and-a-half number? Yeah, so uh, for those of you that may not have caught that show last season, I do have family that um, that root for Notre Dame. They've rooted for Notre Dame their entire lives. So I do kind of sort of have a soft spot for the Fighting Irish. But um, actually at the time of this recording, about an hour before, I actually released my personal, um, I call it like a team strength grade, you know, power rankings. And, uh, and Notre Dame is actually fourth on that list. So. I do believe Notre Dame has the ability to be a, you know, college football playoff contender. And especially with the, the uh, incoming transfer, Jack Cohn, I think, you know, 
once you once we once they lost Ian Book last year, you know, questions started to come about who would take over as the uh, as the Irish starting quarterback. But um, now that Cone is in, you know, it should be all wheels ahead, and you know, I think I think they're you know going to be right there back in it, back in playoff contention. And um, I guess the biggest question will just be, you know, if they do get into the playoffs, can they, you know, reverse some of their fortunes that they've you know had in previous playoff years. That that's a really polite way of saying, will they not get blown out in a big <laughs> national game again? Um, something I wanted to ask you, and I'm glad you had mentioned it there. How much of that projection and that uh, the, the power ranking is dependent on Jack Cohn being a quarterback that at least EPA thinks he is? Um, of course, at Wisconsin, um, it isn't. It isn't as rely, reliable on Jack Cohn as you know maybe other projection systems. Um, overall, Notre Dame is still a very strong team um, outside of the quarterback position, and um, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be too much of an ask for Jack Cohn to come and step in. He doesn't have to be that you know Heisman you know trophy finalist, elite, all world you know all world beater. Um, now that may come into question when they do if they do in fact get into the playoffs we may need to ask ourselves whether Jack Cohn can take a step up and you know do something that Ian Book couldn't do and you know win a playoff game um but overall Notre Dame is just it's a Notre Dame is a strong team um and they should be they should be good to go so before I, Steve I got a question for you but before we go to there um obviously as we've grown a lot even over the summer, we're going to have a lot of new listeners who may not be familiar with um, kind of the podcast in general. So last season, uh, we had made an outreach to the analytics community to bring in a new perspective for football. And uh, if you hear the terms like something like EPA, that means expected points added. It is basically the most advanced statistic we have right now in football. Um, and if you're interested in that, I encourage you to check out last year's episode where it was titled like Analytics Royal Rumble, where we had a Michigan fan, a USC fan and a Florida State fan and a Notre Dame representative, which was from our uh, our friends at uh, NDFB Analytics, have kind of a little battle royale. And that was a lot of fun. So if you're interested in, in, in learning a little more about analytics, I'd recommend checking out that episode and those accounts, which we will tag, uh, of course, on Twitter. So, Steve. We're, we're kind of talking about perceptions of each other's teams. Um, before we talk about our teams from our perspectives, what is your perception of Florida State this year, and do you think they are better or worse than what we saw last year? They will be better, <clears throat> and, and I'll tell you why. Because their seniors and their graduate class are were very highly rated. I believe that both of their – those uh, – those, recruiting classes were top 15 at the very least they were top 20 i mean their graduate class had an average grade of 91.1 their senior class had an average grade of 90.91 which is kind of where notre dame has has been at over the past four or five years or so uh you know pr pretty comparable so their their upperclassmen their senior leaders are going to be quite talented uh obviously now they have mackenzie milton at qb now is is that correct yeah we got mackenzie from mm -hmm. uh, from the transfer portal yep so now you have a experienced winning quarterback uh who's presumably going to uh to bring a little pizzazz to an, an otherwise struggling offense last year so um, I mean, they had three canceled games last year. They very much so could have gone six and six. 
Um, you know, that's obviously not what you think of when you think Florida State. Uh, you think of typically, a, you know, a nine-win program or better. And I, I think that they are not far off in the future of, of kind of, uh, you know, re- revivifying that that uh, that mystique of their team. I, I truly think they're about three to four seasons away from being a top 15 perennial team. But unfortunately this year, I, I think they'll be spicy. I just don't see them competing uh, in, in any real capacity, you know, for, you know, 10 or 11 wins. I, I think they are probably going to max anywhere from an eight to nine win program. But as compared to last year, that's a hell of a turnaround. So uh, this is not a team to take lightly, but I still think the Irish should be favored. So I, I've been hearing some things on social media, especially from Notre Dame fans, being thankful this game is first of the season because Florida State will not have meshed and grown to their capabilities as they would in, you know, late October or November. I think that's an interesting thought, but, you know, P-Wagon, you're one to never sugarcoat it. You you say it as, as as you see it, which is usually the most slanted Notre Dame opinion you can come up with. What is your perception of Florida State going into the season? They have a quarterback with one leg. They haven't named a quarterback yet. And their offensive line sucks. Like, okay. Woo, yeah. I'm so scared of Florida State. No, I'm not. And they're going to win seven games because four of the games are against the, I don't want to say the Little Sisters of the Poor, but it's Jacksonville State, UMass, maybe Wake Forest. Like, the schedule's disgusting. And they should win those games if they were a competent team. Norvell isn't a good coach. Mackenzie Milton, not going to be the same runner that he was. It is August 27th when we're recording this. They haven't named a quarterback for the opener against a top 25 team. That's bad, guys. As a coach, I normally would like to have a – quarterback or at least a, you know someone to start before we play them and this well, on top of all that oh no i'm not done dylan their offensive line they have duct taped them together <laughs> they're going to get abused by let's go through the list respect dylan gibbons dylan gibbons will get he wasn't good enough for notre dame he's there for a reason notre dame's going to ruin them louisville's going to ruin them Syracuse is going to ruin them. North Carolina is going to ruin them. Clemson may not even have to show up. They'll bring their JV team. And then Miami, boy, howdy, and Boston College, goodness gracious. And then they get Florida at the end of the season. So good luck, Mike Norvell, on the free agent market. All right. Well, I think the only fair thing to do is let Jason respond to— Respectfully, Jason. I didn't mean to offend you there, but that's my opinion. No, it's totally fine. (laughs) Um so FSU went out this past offseason and got a boatload of transfers, obviously Mackenzie Milton being the uh, the highlight name on that. But they also revamped a little bit of their defense. They went and got Jermaine Johnson from Georgia. They got Kier Thomas from South Carolina, Jane Robinson from South Carolina, so and a couple other, you know, pieces here and there. So you know, if we can see an improvement in the defense, um, that'll go a long way in helping our offense because, you know, so often in 2020, FSU was, you know, right out the gate down a couple scores or the defense would just, you know, give up, you know, very fast touchdowns to the point where the offense is left with, you know, trying to come back in the game and 
when you're trying to come back, you need to pass more often. And, you know, Jordan Travis, that wasn't really something that we could do. Um, in 2020, his, his PFF grade passing was 55, but when he was able to rush, he was, you know, a very competent rusher. He was one of the, you know, leading rushers in the NCAA, especially for quarterbacks. So if we, and, you know, even in, even FSU's entire rushing game last season was above average, which is something that, you know, you might not have seen in an FS, you might not have, you know, thought of that as an FSU offense in 2020, but their rushing game was, was, you know, above average. Um, So the main issue here is, you know, can we pass the ball? Can we push the ball downfield through the air? And if Mackenzie Milton is healthy and, you know, even if he gets, even if he, you know, has a little bit of rust from his, you know, 2018, 2017 seasons, it's still, you know, light years better than anything FSU has seen since basically since Jameis is gone. Yeah. And, and to expound upon that point, um, you know, the, you know, they, they averaged 199 yard, 199.9, just round up call 200 yards rushing a game, which is fantastic. Uh, right. That's typically going to put you in the, you know, the top 30 of college football, um, you know, or at least, you know, top 40. Uh, they unfortunately they they did average only 196.8 yards per game passing, which is just not enough in in the modern game to compete. So um, your, your your sentiment there is exactly correct. You know they they just have to be pushing the ball downfield. You know they have to have playmakers that are gonna get into space and and really challenge secondaries, open up the field, open up the run a little bit more, make things a little bit easier on the quarterback and the offensive line. Uh, but the two main statistics that really pop out to me looking at last year for, uh, or I guess the three main statistics more accurately. Uh, Number one is turnover ratio minus three. I'm not sure if that was because you guys had a lot of turnovers on offense or if it was a lack of forcing turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. You do have some transfers coming in on defense and and obviously on offense, you know, that's that's hopefully looking to be, you know, revamped in in one way or another. Um, But, you know, typically when you're at a when you're at a negative in terms of turnover ratio, you're not going to be successful. Um, The two other stats I really wanted to highlight. Extraordinarily undisciplined. Um, 80 penalties for 700 yards of penalty yards. And that was only over the course of nine games. Now, Notre Dame played 12 games. They were only penalized 53 times for a total of 456 yards. So more, you know, more games, but almost half the, uh, the, you know, the penalties and yardage on, on Notre Dame side of the ball. Uh, and then also the the third down efficiency, I think, is really what sticks out the most. Uh, FSU last year, thirty five point six one percent on third down. Uh, if if you're not going to get at least close to fifty, then it's it's going to be difficult to win the game. So, um, it, it, you know, P wagon. I know that you uh, you wanted to make a point here in a minute, but but Jay, is is there anything that you're seeing, uh, you know, throughout summer camp so far, or maybe even the spring game? Uh, or just kind of a general sentiment in, in terms of the coaching staff and scheming that's going to look to turn that around. I mean, obviously, those would probably be, if I were a coach, the, the three most important areas in my mind. Yeah, so, you know, with the turnovers, it was more a case of, you know, the team was trying to come back from, you know, a rather large deficit. You start to, you know, take more risks to try and get back in the game. And, you know, as a result, that 
is going to increase your chances of, you know, turning the ball over. But um, just to add to that third down point, I mean, FSU's third down defense was one of the worst in the country. If you look at it in terms of expected points added, I mean, percentile wise, they were in, I think it was like the 15th percentile in terms of expected points added on third down. So they were pretty much letting, you know, anyone do whatever they wanted on those late downs, those third downs and, you know, the occasional fourth down. Um, but this, this preseason and this fall camp, you know, we started to see the defense, you know, take that step forward, which is, you know, it's a testament to just having a full off season because last off season, we obviously, you know, we had the COVID off season. Um, but then it's also a testament to the transfers that were brought in, the ones that I mentioned before that can, um, that can, you know, come in and, and, use their experience um, and even if they even if they didn't start just the snaps that they took in college and just you know getting quality starters is something that you know is definitely going to raise the floor of our defense and by all accounts it by all accounts this fall camp it looks like the defense should improve but um, you know once you get to the game you, you never know so hopefully you know hopefully it looks like they've taken the step forward so that'll put less pressure on the offense and, you know, overall just raise the floor of the team. I'm going to say something nice about Florida state. Yes. Let's go. (laughs) This is the only nice thing I'm going to say. Their offense, their, uh, that running back that they have, uh, the, the cat from Texas A&M. Uh, just Sean Corbin. He's zero. Yeah. He scares me. One, he wears number zero. You (laughs) can never trust someone who wears number zero. They're very scary. Two, he's six foot two fifteen. He's a taller and heavier Kyron Williams in that regard. And three, he's unpredictable. If their offensive line can be somewhat competent, they'll be scary with him. And I don't think Milton's going to start. I think um, the reason Norvell isn't naming him yet is because they're trying to keep the quarterbacks out of the cycle, the new cycle right now. Because everyone knows Mackenzie Milton. Not many people are going to say that they know Jordan Travis. He's a sophomore. Milton's a senior. I think, and this, I, while you all were talking, I was thinking about this. He's trying to avoid what happened with Brian Kelly when Brian Kelly had two capable quarterbacks. And he said, oh, quarterback competition or quarterback by committee. We all remember 2014. Uh, so Jordan Travis is going to be the starter. If he can get that running game going with uh, Deshaun Corbin, it will be scary. I do think that it's going to be hard to get that going if they don't pick a quarterback soon. Uh, but that's the one nice thing I'll say about the Seminoles. So I just wanted to jump in there really quick. Um, so it's been kind of tight-lipped around the FSU camp regarding the quarterback situation. Um, and we've heard a lot of rumors um, between, you know, McKenzie's health and stuff like that. But one thing we have heard is that Jordan Travis is pushing McKenzie Milton and Jordan Travis is looking a lot better than he did uh, in 2020. So that is definitely a sign of optimis- optimism for us. If Jordan Travis does have to step in there and start, um, it'll be interesting to see how much of his passing game has progressed because that's basically what we're, what we're looking for in terms of you know questions that we have is if Jordan Travis can push the ball downfield with, um, you know, with his passing game instead of his legs. Because we all know what type of athlete he is and the runs that he can burst off at any time. But 
if he can add an element of passing to his game, I mean, there's no reason for him to be, there's no reason he can't be a, maybe a top three ACC quarterback. Um, and then in terms of running backs, of course, we have Jay Sean Corbin, like you mentioned, but we also brought in a uh, transfer from Auburn named DJ Williams. He's 5'11", 210, and he's pretty much like a bowling ball, that, that power back that you really want. And then, of course, we had the freshman last year, Lawrence Toafili, who I don't have this, the particular stats in front of me, but I, I ended up uh, building a model that basically it predicted how um, explosive a running back would be on a given play. And Lawrence Toafili was um, one of the more explosive running backs in college football in general. Now, granted, he didn't have that many snaps, but pretty much any time he touched the ball, there was a very good chance that he would take off for, you know, a very long game. So FSU's running back group is definitely loaded. And if we can just get the passing game, you know, where it needs to be to where we can actually use it and not have to pass our way out of a, you know, three score deficit, then there's no reason this offense can't, you know, take another step forward and and be really good. So, I think my concern for Florida State is, and you can confirm this because, Jason, you have a better idea of the numbers than I do. I do follow it, but I consider myself like an intermediate-level analytics guy, is that running success is largely dictated by factors outside of the running back itself, meaning the offensive line, but more in particularly the defensive uh, personnel grouping and how many people are in the box. Um, do you think... It will, one, can you confirm that that's true? I don't want to be spreading false information. But two, does that concern you playing Notre Dame where, you know, Notre Dame's athletes are going to be just a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball? So, yes, that is true. Basically, running is dictated by, you know, offensive line blocking and, you know, how many guys are in the box on defense. Um, But with... Uh, Alex Atkins, our offensive line coach, he has he's definitely put them on the right track. And if you look at it's a stat called offensive line yards, it's essentially, you know, we're trying to give credit to the offensive line for the amount of yards um, that oh, that is gained on a rushing play. And the credit change the cr- credit changes based on, you know, how far the rush is. But anyways, um, in terms of looking at it from 2019 to 2020, FSU was just continues to get better in terms of offensive line yards per rush. So the offensive line is definitely getting better blocking wise. Now that doesn't mean that they're good, but it definitely means that they're going from bad to average. And then hopefully they can take the next step up. But, you know, we definitely have confidence in Alex Atkins, our coach, and then obviously getting Dylan Gibbons from, Notre Dame is it's definitely a big piece anytime you can get a guard like that um I know he I know he you know obviously wasn't going to start at Notre Dame this year but he definitely raises the floor of our offensive line group and that's definitely something you need when your offensive line has just you know has just been horrible for um you know 2019 2019 2018 2017 so yeah so we're we're looking forward to another improvement in the offensive line and Hopefully they can. Uh, hopefully they can continue to improve each day. So I have a question for you about the offensive line, but first I had just wanted to say before we move past it, if Mackenzie Milton comes out and plays like he did at UCF all those years ago, that could be a really interesting football game. You know, a healthy Mackenzie Milton, 
doing Mackenzie Milton things could be absolute hell for Notre Dame. I mean, we saw it last year with Florida State even. They had given our corners fits at times. Um, I mean, as Notre Dame fans will recall, we should have really blown out Florida State last year, and it was kind of closer than it, the scoreline showed. Um, but here's the thing. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you might be a little concerned about that. I just don't think anyone realistically expects Mackenzie Milton coming off a gruesome injury in his first game in however long it's been to be Mackenzie Milton against Notre Dame. That's it's just that's a lot to ask for him. Now, Florida State doesn't need that, I don't think, to win the ball game. But having that kind of, you know, almost a Heisman level performer like we know he can be, that could pose a threat to Notre Dame. But I wanted to ask you about the offensive line. Would you say that's still the, the big weakness on the Florida State team? So in terms of offense, um, I would say, I would say, yeah, I would say the offensive line is probably still, um, still the biggest weakness, but I will say the wide receiver group is starting to, starting to creep up on that. Um, now we did get a transfer in Andrew Parchment from Kansas, but the wide receivers need to step up. They need to start creating separation and they need, and they need to start catching the football, um, that group is definitely starting to worry Seminole fans, but we did get a pair of uh, freshman wide receivers that have, you know, shined in camp and hopefully one of them can step up and then hopefully, you know, a veteran can step up so that someone like Keyshawn Helton can, you know, do his thing and then have, you know, a couple, you know, two other receivers step up and, you know, just be able to, give Mackenzie Milton or Jordan Travis, whoever, you know, may start, just give them, you know, something to work with so that they don't have to throw these balls into tight windows and, and, you know, maybe get some, something out of the yards after catch game and just, and just step up, just start making plays. Yeah. And I mean, if, if offensive line is the weakness of the Florida state offense, where I fear for Seminoles in this game is, and I'm going to, and I'm going to ask Steve this question because we talked about it last week. What is the strength of this Notre Dame football team? Trenches hundred percent in the trenches, uh, offensive line, defensive line. And I think that's going to bode well for us, obviously in this game. And I think most likely the difference maker, you know, if, if Kai Ren can go four five, six yards downfield before getting hit, then it's going to look like never mind. I was going to make an Alabama 2012. I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> but anyway, um, it, but it, it, it can get ugly real quick. You know, I mean, obviously offensive line is, uh, is, is replaced. Um, uh, you know, we're replacing four starters uh, that went on to the NFL last year and that's no, no small feat. And, and, and we have a true freshman presumably at left tackle with big fish, but you know, these are highly touted guys. These are guys that have been in, on campus for uh, for about two, three years now, uh, most of them with the exception of Fish. You know, this this offensive line is going to kind of maul bodies. You know, they're going to they're going to move mountains and and uh, really kind of, you know, give Jack Cohen some time to settle in. Jack Cohen, I think, has a lot more upside on uh, out on the boundaries this year to uh, to get open and, and, you know, be a little bit more dynamic and playmaking. Um, so if, if Cohen has time, which presumably he will with the offensive line, it's, it could get, uh, you know, they could put this game away, you know, hopefully by halftime, knock on wood is, is obviously my sentiment as a diehard Notre Dame fan. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, Kyron's going to ball out. We know what we're going to get from, from, uh, from our running back room, which is phenomenal. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, I, Isaiah Foskey is 
one of the most terrifying human beings I've ever seen in my entire life. There was that video that came out recently of him hitting a sled and the, the fucking veracity and force that he hit that thing with, like he would, uh, uh, he would have sent me like 400 feet in the other direction like that. He is a, like a tough son of a bitch. And, and we have so much depth uh, on the defensive line and we can cycle in. And I, and then that's the style of, uh, of Marcus Freeman is, is to keep fresh bodies out there. You know, Jordan Patello, uh, you know, Will Schweitzer. I mean, there's there's so many, you know, Jason, Justin, Adam, Iola, you know, it, it's insane. You know, we, we just have a lot of depth. So I, I think the trenches are, uh, as is the case with most football games, going to be the difference maker for the Irish. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll let P-Wagon jump in. I, I think that's a great point. Um, and, and Coach P-Wagon, of course, is a coach. So, you know what, I'm just going to defer to him uh, on this one. The one thing Florida State doesn't have, other than a quarterback with two legs, uh, is they don't have tape on Notre Dame's defense. They have tape on Notre Dame's defense before Marcus Freeman took over. You can watch Cincinnati. I wouldn't. But you could watch Cincinnati to get a feel for what he does on defense. But Cincinnati and Notre Dame are like comparing an orange to a pineapple. They're both defenses, but they're vastly different, and I prefer one over the other. With that being said, Florida State has never lost five home openers ever. Ever. History will change on Sunday, September 5th. But the last time they lost four in a row was 1973 to 1976. Never before have they lost five in a row. Little and 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 who won the national championship in that would be fifth year of 1977? Oh, I don't know, Dylan. Who was it? Notre Dame feels like 77, baby. We got it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm glad you brought up history because I want to take just a brief break from the uh, uh, the matchup talk because I know we have more numbers to get to, but I want to go into history for a second. Notre Dame and Florida State, I had said this before, it feels like a rivalry. They've only played, uh, I believe, eight times. I think that's how it is, because I know if Notre Dame wins, it'll be four and five or five and six. So they've only played a few times. The series is relatively close. Florida State leads by two. But it feels like a rivalry because they've always had big games. So what I wanted to do, and since Jason is the only Florida State fan, we will not respond because we don't want to bully him. But I will give him free reign to make two pitches to our audience as a Seminoles fan from a Seminoles perspective. So Jason, if you can give us your best pitch on why Florida state is the true champion in 1993 and two, tell me why the 2014 game was a legitimate ending and it wasn't Notre Dame being robbed by the refs and we will not bully you on this. We'll just let you and then we'll move on because it's fair you know, it's three of us, you know, we'll, we'll let, we'll let our audience get you later. Well, I'm just going to make the 1993 one nice and quick. You can't lose to Boston college. You just can't lose to Boston college and be national champions. It's as simple as that, that, that Florida state Notre Dame game though, in 1993 is, I mean, it's still up for debate, but I mean, it's, it's arguably one of the greatest games ever played. 
Um, and then 2014, I was there. I saw it with my own two eyes. It was clearly passing appearance. The referee was doing exactly what he <laughs> what he was trained to do. It was clearly passing appearance. And they had they had another opportunity. Granted, it was I think it was a fourth and 18, but uh, you know they had the opportunity and they failed. And uh, and that was the game. That was game over. Well, if if you guys haven't thrown up in your mouths, I'll allow you to do that all right now. Um, and then we're going to segue into picks before coming back to uh, some of Jason's numbers and game predictions. So we may have a sponsor next year for the next episode for this segment. But for now, we're going to keep it hush hush and uh, just segue right into our usual college football picks. So this is week one picks. We've got five games for you. We're going to pick the winner. We're going to keep track of them all year. Uh, listeners at home, if you're on Twitter, send us your picks too and uh, and see if you could beat the horseman. You know, spoiler, it's not that hard. You could take a look at our record. But you, you, can, you can at least prove that you're smarter than us three idiots, plus Jason, who isn't an idiot. So game number one, we've got North Carolina going to Virginia Tech, Lane Stadium, uh, I'm from what I hear, Metallica plays them out and they'll beat every team that comes to them. I don't think that's happened, but that's what I've been told by ESPN. Um, basically I'll start with Jason, the guest, who do you like here? Do you like the Tar Heels with Sam Howell or do you like the Hokies at home? I love Sam Howell and I love UNC. I think, I think they're going to roll here. I think they're going to start off the season strong. Um, Virginia Tech is just so... I, I feel like it's, I feel like Virginia Tech the past couple years has just been like on the edge of just exploding. Um, I don't know if Justin Fuente survives this year. It's, it's just going to be very weird for Virginia Tech. So I'm going, I'm going Sam Howell and UNC. All right, Steve and then P-Wagon and then myself, and that'll be the order we go in so we can rapid fire it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, UNC, I mean, Mac Brown's building something special. Um, you know, there's kind of a power vacuum in the ACC right now of, you know, who's going to fill the void other than, obviously, Clemson. Uh, and, and it looks like he's kind of got uh, the tools to do so, at least for this year with Howell. I still don't trust him, um, you know, over the course of, you know, of, of playing, you know, top 15 programs because I don't trust a guy that doesn't eat steak. But, right, that that's his thing. Yep, exactly. So uh, I'm going to go with UNC in this game at least by at least two touchdowns. Took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, Virginia Tech's entrance, Sandman entrance is a JV uh, Tiki Tech entrance. It's not intimidating at all. Metallica and Enter Sandman haven't been relevant since Mariano Rivera retired from the Yankees. UNC by two touchdowns. Sam Howe, don't like him. Okay, well, as a pretty big Metallica fan, I'm going to take issue with some of that comment, but um, I agree with you guys. Although I have this as a close game. I think it's going to be a tough road game for North Carolina. I think the first game of the season is always hard for everybody. And I could see, you know, atmosphere momentum kind of creeping up on the Tar Heels. I take them to win, but I take them to win within a score. Um, so let's move to the second game. Uh, Wisconsin is hosting Penn State after a horrible year for the Nittany Lions. Uh, Jason, how do you have this one? So, yeah, I got, I have Wisconsin. I think Graham, I think Graham Mertz, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he's such a roller coaster of a quarterback. You either get like an amazing performance at his first game. He averaged over 
uh, one EPA, which is absolutely absurd, 100 percentile game. Um, but then you have other games where he just can't really throw it, just can't really do anything. So it, it is going to depend on what kind of game you get out of Graham Mertz, but I'm going to go Wisconsin here. Uh, I believe that Penn State is, uh, they, they got really screwed by COVID. I think Franklin's a good coach. Uh, I Sorry for the motorcycles in the background. Um, <laughs> I, I, I despise Penn State for uh, a lot of the extremely obvious reasons, but uh, ultimately I think they pull, this, uh, pull out this game by three. Wisconsin by five and a half. So five. Let's go with five instead. Wisconsin by five. They cover the spread. It'll be a close game. I'm thinking like a rock fight. 21-16. Interesting. Uh, th- obviously, Wisconsin's a team Notre Dame will be seeing this year, so that's a game I might tune into. I like Graham Mertz. I think he's a good quarterback. I just don't know what we have in Penn State. Uh, Mika Parsons is gone. Um, I think some of their other pretty good players are gone as well. I'm just going to take Wisconsin. It's a safer pick. They're at home. And Wisconsin can always kill a game just with the boring Big Ten style they play. I like Wisconsin, but I that's not a lock for me. And and to clarify very quickly, I'm absolutely rooting for Wisconsin because I want strength of schedule. I just think that Penn State is uh, going to come back with a vengeance. But we'll move on. So let's stick in the Big Ten for whatever reason. Um, we've got Indiana, a ranked Indiana, going to Iowa, which is a ranked Iowa. Interesting first-week matchup. Jason, how do you have this one? So um, I have Iowa in this one. Um, I'm not entirely sure if uh, Indiana's quarterback, Michael Penix, is back. I know he's coming back from injury, but I think Iowa is a stronger team here, and Hopefully we have that, you know, classic Big Ten matchup where it's like six to three at halftime. And there's like 30 total yards between each other. But uh, but yeah, I'm going Iowa here. Uh, agree. Uh, the, the heart says Indiana. The, uh, the brain says uh, don't overthink it. Stupid. It's going to be Iowa. So I have Iowa by nine. I.O. W.A. By seven. Is that, is that their chant? I don't know. I don't know. I think we just made that up. But if it is, like, we should bring that out to uh, to them. I like that, Steve. Electric. Yeah, so I'm going to be in the minority here. I like Indiana. I don't know what we have in Indiana. I don't know what we had in Indiana last year. I mean, they played Ohio State pretty tight. Um, I just, I like them. I like their coach. I like the, the trajectory the program is going in. And Iowa is Iowa, right? There's nothing sexy about them. I just think Indiana can get it done. That's my good. I mean, it's a small upset. I think at the line's about three and a half for Iowa at home, which on a neutral site means they're favored by half a point. Um, yeah, I, I just like uh, I like the Hoosiers in. Uh, I don't I don't know how to say it in uh, in this game. Yeah, the other the other Indiana school nobody cares about. There's two of them, and I don't mean and I don't mean Butler. <laughs> so let's go to. My favorite segment in this pick is, is Texas back? Find out with the four horsemen. Um, so we got the Longhorns are hosting Louisiana Lafayette, who's coming off a good season. Um, for some reason, my co-host really liked the Longhorns just generally. 
I'm more of a Sooners guy myself. Um, so, Jason, you get first shot at it. How do you like this matchup? I'm going with Texas. I really like that Steve Sarkeesian hire. Um, it might take a little bit for them to gel and for them to, you know, maybe recapture some of that, uh, some of that Alabama powerhouse offense magic that Sark that Sarkeesian brings. But um, I'm going Texas here. Agree. Um, just because I think ULL, while being one of the better mid majors is just still not going to be able to compete with with the Texas squad that even in their down years they're still getting some decent four star guys out of out of the out of the state you know it's like uh they, they just have that home state advantage in terms of recruiting and that's going to come out on the field in terms of size strength and speed so just uh based on the pure athleticism of the team um and you know I I don't really like Sark personally uh but that's because he's played played he's coached for usc and alabama two teams that i hope get fired into the fucking sun so i expect texas to win but yeah i I could see this being tighter than most people predict this is an audio podcast so let me let me audio for y'all i'm wearing a cowboy hat right now i bought it in austin i proceeded to go out in austin with this cowboy hat on Texas by three touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, okay, let me let me ask you guys a question. Do you remember that time Texas lost to Maryland? That did happen. Do you remember that time Texas lost to Maryland again? That did happen again. And it happened. So have we forgotten what kind of choke artists Texas are in the early part of the football season? Would I be wearing a cowboy hat if I didn't remember that? It's a new era in Texas. I'm always back. B-A-C-K. You can't spell Texas without back. Pete, with regard to your cowboy hat, I thought you were actually a male stripper and you just got off a shift um, because it looks howdy, howdy fine on you. Um, I'm taking Louisiana Lafayette. It's got upset written all over it. It's it's expectations for Texas. It's a new head coach for Texas, who, by the way, I don't think is very good. Maybe offensively with Alabama was pretty impressive, but have we all forgotten what he was like at USC? Granted, there was other issues there, but I don't want to get into that. You're playing um, Louisiana Lafayette, though, Dylan. And this is my first Texas. Ar- but this is my first argument with you. Is Louisiana Lafayette a legitimate team? They play, what, the Sun Belt? They're right. Playing the Sun Belt. Yeah, but could Texas play in the Sun Belt? And that's yes. that's they're, up for debate. They're, they're a power five or whatever they're called. They're a power five school. All right. I, 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 accept, in two years. I accept I'm in the minority oh, here, but I think ULL's gonna get it done. I think it's Texas choke job written all over it. Steve, I'll let you defend your beloved Longhorns. Uh well, I mean Texas forever, but uh, just a quick aside to that. When you said, remember when they lost to Maryland and lost to Maryland again, um, do you guys remember when Michigan lost to Appalachian State, who was an FCS team? Of course. I that was, was hilarious. Like, Completely I unrelated. I just want to shit on Michigan. Oh, I love it. I, we got to get a Michigan joke in every episode now <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that's perfect. Um, okay, forget. let's go to the next one. Georgia at Clemson in a neutral site game, so let's just – you know, make that clear. Where is that being it, held? What's that? Where is it being held? Do you know? 
I do not. I'm sure somebody I'll can look, look that up while right I'm now. speaking. I'm just going to guess it's maybe um, where the Panthers play in Carolina. That could be an interesting location for it. Was it, was it not Atlanta? I thought it was Atlanta. I'm, I'm not Atlanta, it could, sure. yeah, you know what? Atlanta might be it. Um, it sounds I'll, I'll like an Atlanta game. I don't know. So I'll just talk about this anyway. Georgia's lost a few starters in this game, but Clemson, of course, is turning over an insane rate of talent including a generational quarterback. We saw how good DJ Youngalele was last year against Notre Dame. I mean, it was as if Lawrence was playing in terms of the actual production on the field. Um, That's an interesting matchup, and it's the first time I think Clemson has had an interesting matchup in years other than Notre Dame last year. They don't play many great teams in the regular season, and because of the ACC being so weak, I don't know if Clemson can afford to lose this game and, and still get in. Um, but that, that's, you know, that's for another discussion, Steve, you got an answer for me. Yes, I do. It is at bank of America stadium where the Panthers play in Carolina. I have a phenomenal, I, that's, (laughs) that is law school memory right there. That is, I mean, I don't remember anything from law school, but I remember the useless facts about (laughs) locations and games. Um, okay. So that's great. Um, I, this is a tough one. I haven't even picked a team yet. I'm going to pick as soon as it gets to me. Jason, you get the tough job of going first here. Do you like the Bulldogs or do you like the Tigers? So you are right that Clemson has to replace a lot of talent on the offense. They only return 46% of their offense, but Clemson returns 92% of their defense, a defense that is year in and year out, always elite, elite coaching, elite talent. Uh, My models actually like Clemson to cover and Clemson to win, uh, I wouldn't say pretty convincingly, but um, I do like Clemson in this matchup. I like DJ Weungalele. I think he is, I think he's the next, I think he's going to be, you know, a future first round quarterback. He has the talent. He has all, you know, all the intangibles, all the tools that you need to be a first round quarterback. So, you know, it is going to be a big stage for him. I get that, but there's just so much talent in Clemson, especially defensively that I I, I think I, I, I just can't see him losing this game. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of going to go with the flip side of you. So I don't mean to fade you particularly here, but, um, (laughs) I just, (laughs) I, I, two things. One, I think that Clemson, uh, both teams are playing with their backs against the wall in one capacity or another. I think Clemson's playing with, with their back against the wall because they have zero room for error. They lose this game. They're basically out of the playoff. Right. I mean, I basically I mean, they they can probably find a way in, but there's going to have to be some magic works like there's going to have to be some teams that fall off like, oh, you if they go undefeated, like they're absolutely getting in over Clemson. Um, So having no margin for error is going to put a ton of pressure on a team that's playing a top five, you know, and a top 10 perennial program, uh, you you know, led by Kirby Smart. Now, on the flip side of that, Kirby Smart, I think this year is coaching for his job. And I know that's a bold thing to say, but it's like, dude, you live in the state with the most talent. Nick Saban has said if he had the perfect job in college football, it would be in uh, in Georgia, right? Because there's just such a talent pool there that he he you know, yeah money exactly. But uh, but <laughs> there there like there's almost no excuse for Georgia to just not be able to get over the hump at this point. 
And I think Kirby Smart is really going to come out gunning, just swinging for the absolute fences because he knows he has to put on a display and really make a point that, yeah, you know, we can't beat Alabama, but at the very least we can beat Clemson, who has beat Alabama, and like we belong. Like He, he has to make a statement, and simultaneously I think there's just too much pressure on Clemson, especially with the true sophomore quarterback that's pl- started one game, of which, as a reminder, he lost. So... I'm going with Georgia in this one, but obviously it's it's going to be extremely tight. I I believe he started against Boston College, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he won that. Well, game, he started but... two games. He won one barely against an abysmal Boston College game, and then the second game he started. Guess what? Spoiler alert! What did he do? He lost he and yards and lost. And he lost the expected points model that Jason put together, which is far superior <laughs> to Connor McAnalytics's. <laughs> so I got we got two Michigan digs in. Um, sorry, <clears throat> P Wagon, I'll let you uh, I'll let you answer the question. I'm a big DJ. You can We ungalele. Yeah, what you said, um, <laughs> Mister You over there. I uh, like his father. Uh, his father and DJ have also blocked me on Twitter. Um, but if they ever hear this, I do like them. I have DJ winning the Heisman this year. That would be hilarious if Trevor Lawrence can't win a Heisman and then DJ does it in his first season. But go on. I, I took the value of him at plus 600. So I think Clemson wins by three. Georgia covers all the expected spreads. Georgia, they're not good. They'll be good enough to compete and always be in the conversation, but they'll never never get over the hump. And Mr. U will go far. I don't want their defense to do well because I hate that linebacker that they have, but DJ will take them to at least a win for a week. All right. I shall give my opinion. But before that, I'd like to say, speaking of Heisman, do you know who's not going to win a Heisman this year? Sam Howell, Keaton Slovis, everyone on Michigan. Uh, I could go on. Yeah, I was going to go with Keaton Slovis, but you took away the punchline because we got to dig at USC while we're here. Um, Slovis <laughs> is not a Heisman, and he shouldn't be talked about in the first round because Sam Darnold was talked about it the same way, and he's been an utter failure, which, of course, this podcast called the moment I think we saw that Wondery happen. Wondery wonder. Anyway, um, even though that was the season before us, we did say in that season Darnold would flop. Um, I have a question for the panel before I give my pick. Would you rather have Dabo Sweeney or Kirby Smart as your head coach? Jeez. Would you rather I would have pro- I would probably go Dabo, to be honest. I think just just as just the buy-in he gets from not only his players but his staff. I mean, Brett Venables could be a head coach anywhere he wants, literally anywhere he wants, except Clemson, obviously. But just the the commitment that he gets from all of them is just it's insane. I think I'd much rather have Dabo. I would prefer not to have rampant SARM allegations against my team every year, so I have to go with Kirby Smart. And his name's William, just for everyone out there. William Swinney. Um, it's close for me. The only thing that's separating uh, the leader from the pack is if you look it up on YouTube, I think it was, uh, I think it was Dabo's uh, first ever game at Clemson or home game. And he, uh, sprinted down the hill after touching 
uh, Howard's rock. And he was like legitimately like 35 yards ahead of the team. Like he absolutely <laughs> booked it. It's ho- it's a hilarious clip. Look it up on YouTube. So anyone that can outrun his own team uh, is, is going to take the advantage of my book. So. So this backfired completely. I thought the answer was obviously Dabo, and all of us would say Dabo because I don't think Kirby Smart is a particularly great coach. So my answer is Clemson because they get the better coach, and I expect them to not choke on the big stage like Georgia is known to, unless they're playing Notre Dame. Still not over those two games. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'm going Clemson here. I like the Tigers. Um, We're all pretty much in agreement with the exception of the the Iowa-Indiana and Texas-ULL game. Um, we'll see if I'm, uh, if my bold predictions pay off or if I look like an idiot, but since I've won the prediction game, the last every year we do this, I suppose I should spot you guys some, a head start here. Um, so Jason, I want to move to you. You have some analytics, uh, in regards to this game, I believe with respect to, uh, returning talent and maybe your model even says something. So I'm just going to let you, uh, take us away with kind of your, you know, nuts and bolts preview of Florida State Notre Dame. Yeah, so uh, FSU actually returns a lot on the offensive side of the ball. If I can just pull it up really quickly. Um, Florida State actually returns 84% of their offensive production on the offensive side of the ball. So that's going to be a big key. If they can continue to, you know, like I said before, just continue to grow and take the next step, you know, we can see an offense, you know, start to become above average in, you know, not just the rushing game, but the passing game. And then obviously that's going to rely on, you know, who's throwing the football, whether it's Jordan Travis or Mackenzie Milton. And then on the defensive side of the ball, um, FSU returned 62% of their overall production, which obviously wasn't great production. It was, you know, a flat out horrible defense. But, you know, if they can continue to grow too, there was, there was a lot of, you know, freshmen, sophomores, underclassmen on that defense getting a lot of sn- snaps last year. So if they can just continue to grow and just, you know, cut down on some of that, you know, Swiss cheese defense on third down, especially in the passing game, if they can do that, then they're going to be a much improved team. And we can see the floor of this team continue to rise, um, you know, with each passing week. And then obviously, you know, on the Notre Dame side, you know, my power rankings has them at number four. They're obviously going to be a college football playoff contender this year. Um, last year, their defense, um, if you look at PFF grades, they were in the nineties on the defense. So they were, you know, one of the elite defenses, um, I believe they were only returning. They're not returning that much on the defensive side of the ball. If I'm correct. I don't know if you guys have that too. Oh, they returned 53% on the defense. So just a little over half, um, of the production on the defense. And then on the offensive side, they're only returning 44%. So that's going to be the biggest key in my opinion is you know can Notre Dame um replicate some of their offense last year if they can you know catch fire with with Jack Cohn and just you know try and get some of the offense going and and, you know just take that next step into that you know elite level team the Clemson's the Ohio State's the Alabama's you know can they take that next step forward and then obviously it starts week one Uh, My models have this game at Notre Dame winning by a little bit over a touchdown. This game opened with Notre Dame as, I believe, a double-digit favorite, and it's kind of dwindled down to, I think, a a seven-and-a-half-point favorite right now. So right around where my models think it is, I think it'll be, you know, a little bit over a touchdown for Notre Dame. But, um, 
that would be honestly that would be a that would be a result that Florida State fans would most likely be comfortable with if they can hang in with Notre Dame and and keep it within a you know reasonable score. Then I, th- I think they'll come away happy with that. So I'm kind of torn on the line because on the one hand, I think of Texas 2016 as all Notre Dame fans do, where we were a clearly better team. We go on the road in a tough environment and choke and just lose badly. Of course, we ended up sucking that season, but so did Texas. Um, so there's that aspect of it. You know, you don't want to disrespect Florida State. You don't want to disrespect the first game back from COVID with the with the full crowd. But at the same time, Notre Dame's coming off a playoff appearance there, you know, a silly record in the last four years. It's almost a little disrespectful to have it within a touchdown given how Notre Dame Florida state has gone in the past. So I, I kind of see both sides to the, the bookies here. Um, I put out a, tw- uh, a poll on Twitter and we've gotten a, so much votes within like an hour that it just shows how far our, our account has grown. Um, so I've asked what you guys think uh, the score is going to be or the outcome. Um, so 14% of respondents think Notre Dame is going to win by a score. Uh, 52% think Notre Dame is going to win by two scores. And keep in mind, this is a Notre Dame heavy uh, voter base. Uh, and then 32% said Notre Dame is going to win by three or more scores. And we've got 2% picking a Florida State upset. Obviously, that's not reflective of the general population as a whole. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to go right into it. Steve, you're up to bat. Tell me how you see this game and give me a score prediction. Uh, slow first for both sides, explosive second for the Irish. And then, you know, by the third quarter, it's just going to be too far. And and I think, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be kind of exactly as you had mentioned, uh, prior, which is, you know, FSU just unfortunately playing c- catch up. And, you know, when, when you try to play catch up and throw the ball deep against Kyle Hamilton, you're going to have a bad time. So um i it's i'm probably gonna go with uh let's see let's run the numbers it's gonna be 38 17 irish (laughs) yep did i do it again did i just incept your brain again yes so for listeners (laughs) we did not plan this we have not talked about this this is literally just me and dylan having the same brain over the course of four years this is just crazy. Last season, I had always asked Steve to pick first, and he would steal my scoreline, or he would get within a few points. Like he'd get the numbers almost the same, and it drives me nuts. And he did it, but we'll get <laughs> back awesome. to my picks. Um, you know, uh, we'll go P and then Jason, because uh, I feel like you have obviously the most insightful information here. Uh, so, uh, P wagon, how do you see this one going? Uh, first. Half is going to be close, and it's going to inspire hope for all in Tallahassee. They'll be starting to do the chop and the chant and the war drums and all that. And I'll get a few tweets during the first half of some ignorant people who went to Florida State or went to Florida State by association or just really don't like Notre Dame. And I'll listen to those tweets. I'll get some group chats as well. Oh, P-Wagon, Notre Dame sucks. They don't call them P-Wagon in group chats. They know my real name. Um, Oh, Notre Dame's not going to be good this year. And I'll get another tweet or two. I'll start to throw things. And then in the second half, Notre Dame will step on the throats of everyone who thinks that Florida State ever had a chance of beating Notre Dame. If they ever dreamt of beating Notre Dame, they better wake up and apologize. Notre Dame by 13. Also, 
as a fun fact, the best line right now out there is on DraftKings, minus 7.5, giving Notre Dame plus 100. They're plus money right now on DraftKings. So hammer that line. Uh, final I'm going to legitimately drive to New Hampshire right now and throw in a bet. Uh, final score on that is going to be, I said 13, right? It's going to be, math is hard. While he's calculating, I'll, I'd just like to say that, that was a very... What? 34-21. 34-21. Okay. Um, I was going to say, Pete, that was a very measured and reasoned take you had. Um, but the score ended up being a little closer than your actual analysis there. Um, let's go to Jason, um, the Florida State fan. I'm very intrigued to see um, how he's going to call this one. Um, because, you know, you're, you got your model, too. You don't have to stick with your model. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. So uh, I'll let the Knowles fan take it away. Uh, part of me really just wants to hope that McKenzie Milton comes out blazing like he like he did at UCF and just you know shock the world. Um, but I I just I don't think that FSU can compete with Notre Dame for all four quarters. Um, it's going to be interesting just to see you know who Florida State trots out at quarterback and you know what you know how can they how can they improve you know given that they. You know, this is Mike Norvell's first season with an offseason, you know, a proper one. So it will be interesting, but ultimately I, I just think Notre Dame is going to, you know, Notre Dame is going to take it. They are the better team. I, that's not, you know, that's just how it is. And, you know, we have to deal with it. Um, and I'm going to say the score line, I'm going to go 28 to 20. That's fair. You have, you have it being pretty close to the spread. Um, mm -hmm. In my opinion, I think Notre Dame's going to go three and out, and Twitter's going to lose its mind. Um, kind of reminds it me always of, does. Kind of reminds me of the Louisville game a little bit from a couple years ago. I will um, also lose my mind if ND does go three and out, but that's only because I get to see Jay Bramblett, my favorite player, put a ball <laughs> a mile into the air and then have one of Notre Dame's special teamers decapitate whatever returner that they have. Jay Bramblett for Heisman. That's an, another reasonable take from P-Wagon. Um, <laughs> we went into Alabama and we stole him from Nick Saban. Fuck you, Saban. I'm, I'm pretty sure Alabama didn't offer, but let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> For sure. I, th I think um, this game's going to be a little cagey at first, but we were promised a revamped, explosive Notre Dame offense, at least step towards that. I think we are going to see that, but I think there's going to be a lot of missed opportunities, kind of like the last Florida State game as well. Um, I have this one 38-13 Notre Dame. I think in the end it does kind of look like a blowout. But I think, again, Florida State will hold their own for a while, and I think the scoreline might not be reflective of the game. It'll be a game I think Notre Dame fans will, will have wanted more from, but looking back in hindsight, we'll be happy with the results and the way we, we win that game. Um, before we wrap up here, I wanted to mention something with the two quarterbacks. By the way, everyone, P-Wagon is holding up a sign to the camera saying, Jay Bram for Heisman. So he is not stopping this campaign. Um, hmm. I, I just want to say with the two quarterbacks and not announcing one, that could be to throw off Notre Dame, you know, to just not be prepared with who's coming. That could be Florida State probably already knows who the quarterback is. Um also, Maris Leofau, we talked about him last week. He was scheduled, not scheduled, but he was on pace at least to overtake Shane Simon for a starting linebacker spot. 
Uh, he suffered a very tough injury. It sounds like he's going to be out, so we wish the best to him and his family. Look forward to a speedy recovery. Um, also, obviously, we talked about at the start with the offensive names. This is not a political show. will never be a political show. Everybody has different lived experiences. But I will say from my perspective as somebody who is proudly Irish-Canadian, you know, I've got Irish family on both sides as far back as it can go. I don't find the name offensive. I don't find the leprechaun offensive. In fact, I take pride in it. That's one of the reasons my family cheers for Notre Dame. That may not be for everybody, but I just want to put my two cents out there as somebody who would be affected by this, that it's not offensive to me at all. And Jason, I'll, I'll let you get a word in before I plug your Twitter account. So I just wanted to ask one quick question. So we'll say hypothetically, hypothetically, Notre Dame loses, right? What will be the reason, like, what will you guys talk about the next week? Again, assuming Notre Dame loses, just in a hypothetical world. Like, what would you guys talk about the next week? What do you think will be the reason why? There won't be a podcast if they lose. <laughs> there will be here an empty room. <laughs> yeah, I'll be hanging from the ceiling fan um <laughs> uh what will what will be the difference maker uh two things one we're not able to contain the quarterback two could not get off the field on third down yeah and i think that's spot on there's a hurricane that comes and hits florida state and brian kelly decides to throw the ball 50 times like he did against michigan and against clemson and against north carolina state uh that's the only way we lose I will say the exact opposite happened where UNC came down here and thought that they could run the ball a million times, honestly, because the week before we got pounded in by Notre Dame and UNC ended up coming out with a loss. So you never know. Yep. That's, I mean, that's it. And I, I think it's definitely possible. None of us think it's going to happen, but it's going to be a good game. College football's back. We got fans back in the stadium. We know FSU has an electric home crowd. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be Sunday night, prime time, because Notre Dame always gets prime time games. That's just the benefit of being Notre Dame. Except mm. noon kickoff, because the Big Ten sucks. Are you happy? Ugh, okay, sorry about that. Well, yeah, Wisconsin and Fox and Big Ten is just all awful, and that is a noon kickoff. But other than that, we are usually prime time, because, of course, we are bigger than the sport itself. We are the only thing that matters. Notre Dame's the greatest. Uh, I hope you pick up on the sarcasm. Um, lastly, we're going to plug our friend Jason here on Twitter at CFB numbers. It's a great account. We actually, during this podcast, I retweeted his power rankings. He has great content. Uh, and also Jason, anytime you have Notre Dame stuff, feel free to tag us in it. We, we love sharing it. Um, super informational, super insightful, passionate guy, uh, a lot of ACC content, but he does all sorts. Um, thank you for coming on the show. It's, it's been a pleasure having you and, and to get insights on that we can't give. Right? We're homers. We know nothing about the other team. So thank you for that. And if there's anything you want to say before we sign off, I'll, uh, I'll let you go. Yeah, I appreciate being on here. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to a good game. College football is finally back. And, I mean, there's nothing, no better way to kick off than Florida State Notre Dame. So happy to be here. Um, I do have a newsletter, too, if anyone out there is interested. It's basically just college football analytics. Uh, just Google CFB numbers Substack, and you'll find it. And, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's it's our pleasure. It's great. This is a big season for us. We got Dwindle. We got maybe something else coming. Listener support, of course, in the link below and on our pinned tweet. 
Uh, we're so excited for the season, guys, our listeners, and uh, it's going to be a good one. So from all of us here at the Four Horsemen, except maybe Jason, go Irish. <laughs>